What are you two talking about? Oh, nothing. Just the end of the world. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of Who Pods a Watchman. I'm Grant Davis, your host, and I'm doing a little bit of a mini this week. It is Friday, and we are two days away from the finale. Very excited for it. We just got word that uh, a couple days ago that the finale is actually going to be 67 minutes long. So, you know, set your calendars accordingly. I believe that means that we will be doing our our after show wrap up as usual, but we're going to probably delay it about 15 minutes. So expect us to start at 10:15 p.m. Central Standard Time, and we'll be sending out a link in the next day or so. So you guys are able to go ahead and lock that down and join us. We'd love to have you there on the chat. Also, uh, <laughs> I mean, as, with each episode, I mean, it's funny that we're we're getting down to the wire here. We're getting to the end. This is the end, and or nothing ever ends. But it looks like we keep gaining an audience in our live stream. I think we had like about 250 people last week on our eighth episode, which awesome. But with any good thing like that, especially on YouTube, out also come the trolls. So if you were there and you were watching and you were engaged in the chat and just saw some assholes kind of trying to just shit on the party. My apologies. I didn't anticipate that. And that should be remedied this week when I have some other people that are going to act as moderators and will promptly and swiftly give them the boot if they are just here to offer nothing except for, you know, raining on the parade. So... Yes, I, uh, I encourage all of you guys to join us at 10.15 p.m. Central Standard Time for our final episode for covering the show itself. That won't be the end. I'm sure we will be doing some more wrap-ups throughout the week, um, talking about the podcast that comes out, if any additional PD, PDF files come out, any other additional information. So please stay tuned and join us. We love engaging in this and I'm not really sure what the future is for this show or if there will be additional information that comes out after the fact. We might delve into discussing some of the comics that came out after Watchmen in the interim between that and the movie and this show. There's Doomsday, there's After Watchmen. Might check out that. So stay tuned with us. And, uh, of course, if you guys want to help us out, you can go to iTunes, give that five-star rating and review, and you can go to patreon.com slash whopodsawatchman to make a monthly pledge, a buck or two, I think two bucks or five bucks. Um, that'd be great. We appreciate all of the support, and we will keep on keeping on. But for this week, I want to discuss some of the different things that we, uh, people have been really talking about, especially on the chat um, about like PDPedia and some of the, the bigger theories. And in particular, I went ahead and posted up on our Instagram asking for questions. I wanted to take a look at what some people have already been asking. First question comes to us from 
Floor Floor Dumal, who says, "What is the significance of fog the fog dancing Easter egg and PDF files? Are we headed towards some kind of it was all a dream finale? I really hope not, but that kind of seems implied. So let's go ahead and talk about what's going on in PDPedia. Um, in this week's batch, we got two files. One is from Agent Petey in what appears to be a memo after the events of the finale in Tulsa. So there's a good chance we won't, this will be the last PDPedia notes on there, at least for a bit. Maybe they'll blip something up during, um, during uh, the winter break or in a few months from now. I don't know. But that would follow the comic book in that there was no supplemental material after the final issue of the comic. That was the final end note of the comic. And they might want to do the same thing here. But he does talk about how there was a big tragic event that occurred in Tulsa. Dead bodies. He has two um, identities that are redacted from the document. We don't know who they are. We know that he does not know the location of Agent Lori Blake, which is very interesting. It doesn't necessarily say she's dead or not. So it all leaves it pretty ambiguous for us, but we know that wherever she ends up, he's not aware of it a few days after the the big climax event of the TV show. So that'll be pretty interesting for us to watch. Very excited for it. Um, this These events go down in Greenwood, the neighborhood of Tulsa, where the, the riots uh, in the 20s occurred as well. So in a way, there's some uh, uh, poetic symmetry to the end caps of this. And I, I definitely anticipate that this will be tied into the significance of that tragic, the tragic riots. So um, I'm interested to see how that links together. Um, anyway, let's let's jump into uh, what he's talking about: fog dancing. Fog dancing is the book written by uh, fictional writer Max Shea, who in the comic book was instrumental in Byte's plot to release the squid. He was the the narrative architect for what this creature would ultimately um, look like. He wrote all of this as he was part of this artist's avant-garde artist's camp that Vite had taken to this island and given them the impression they were working on some secret movie idea. But ultimately, it was a terrorist attack with a giant squid to stop the nuclear armaments race in 1985. So Fog Dancing was written prior to those events. Um, let me see if I can get the exact date. I believe it was in the 70s that this book was written. 1972, that's when he wrote this book. And uh, Max Shea wrote this, and as it's described, it's like this very bizarre and cryptic book almost uh, indecipherable by anyone as far as a straightforward plot everyone brings to it kind of what they put into it and it's this cult book that seems to be glommed onto by anyone from Rorschach cultists to um, conspiracy theorists like just on on either side of the aisle as they say and 
uh, I was trying to. Uh, there's there's two documents. There's one where PD uh, talks about how he found this book in Wade Tillman Looking Glasses house, and essentially uh, he was able to link this to this book being kind of a a fixture of a lot of these. Um, masked vigilantes. They found this as well in the comedian's house, in Rorschach's house. Um, it, it seemed to be a, a driving force in Byron Lewis, aka the Mothman, going crazy. Adrian Veidt referred to this as his the second best book ever written, and even Doctor Manhattan was known to quote this from time to time. So it seems to be that this book is a a powerful link between all of these mass vigilantes to some extent that this links them all together. It, it, it's almost akin to like a, a catcher in the rye and how that um, is this book that seems uh, ubiquitous with like uh, conspiracy ne- uh, theorists and, and uh, assassins and all of this. Anyway, um, diving into what the essential plot of this is, uh, there's a character character named Howard McNulty who used to do uh, wet work for the military. That's like, you know, um, deep undercover, SEAL, like uh, mercenary kind of work. Um, and this is – he did this at, at a younger age, and now he's a little bit older at the age of 27, still young. But this book is in a way doing a little bit of an analysis on um, PTSD and how that affects the psyche. There's this interesting quote in here. It said – um, facilitating an art therapy program for soldiers suffering from PTSD, Shea was struck by their testimonials, the awe of serving under the godlike Dr. Manhattan, their guilt of committing atrocities with the comedian, their, ras- their rationalizations about going from liberators saving a people from communism to conquerors seizing a country for capitalism. Their poignant stories of shattered worldview and conscience inspired Shea to capture the confused state of America's heroic character so it's it's a treatise on the american heroic um character mystique this idea of of us being this heroic superpower and um kind of deconstructing that and turning it on its ear and basically saying are are we truly what we think we are but diving further into actually what the the plot of this is like i said Howard McNulty, I don't know if McNulty is supposed to be a reference to uh, the lead character from The Wire. I'd like to think it is. Um, This guy, post his military career and um, serving in Vietnam, is writing about, he's he's writing a story about an architect and his um, loss of his twin brother. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, he's suffering nightmares and is working part-time as an anesthesiologist, stealing laughing gas to try and mask the pain and be able to sleep through the night. Um, so the evil twin th- or the twin thing reminds me of evil twin or bad twin from Lost, this idea of the, the duality of, of the person. And I think that plays into a, a lot of this masked hero, masked vigilante kind of idea of um, you're, you're two different people. Laurie, Blake also um, ends up basically saying the same thing, that you get two origin stories in life, the identity that circumstances create for you and the one you choose for yourself, Um, which Agent PD kind of uh, reflects a little bit on how that might be applicable to him. But 
the the story kind of goes on a little bit more bonkers than that. It starts veering into something that feels a little bit like um like like Fight Club where they're he's uh he kind of meets a girl, they both reveal that they have uh secret past lives or identities. She's actually going under a different name than she used to and is a a guerrilla artist who draws um blue blue dick graffiti on the walls uh of buildings. And he, he joins her on her ex- escapades, and after they kind of have a night of doing uh, of uh, graffitiing the city, that's when they first make love. This feels very akin to uh, Night Owl and Silk Spectre when they, they first meet, and they, they confide in each other about kind of missing their, their secret identities. And once um, Night Owl embraces, uh, or Dan Dryberg embraces being Night Owl once again in the Watchmen comic, um, he and and Silk Spectre are uh, they're they're finally able to make love without him f- him feeling impotent suffering um, impotency uh, on his first go around with her. So uh, this this feels kind of similar to that. I think there's a lot of uh, thematic elements that seem to be uh, playing around with all this. Anyway, then it moves on, like I said, to something that seems very like Fight Club as they're setting out to destroy some weapon plants and they're going to make these bombs and drop them all over. They need someone to help fund it and they go to a a Mr. Dow. Mr. Dow is helping them take down the Jones chemical plant, Dow Jones. um, That seems a little bit reflective of uh, taking down the financial institutions, uh, the stock market and all that from Fight Club. You could also point to Mr. Robot kind of doing that same thing and then it becomes such a big convoluted conspiracy where it ends up that they're escaping in a helicopter with some masked um masked uh, person from the lead character's past life named rawhide who wears a a, a white wetsuit with uh, gas mask goggles and it almost seems like if they are analogs for Night Owl and Silk Spectre, then this would be Rorschach kind of jumping in to help them kind of save the day uh, at, at the very end. And they're all going to go after Adrian Veidt, essentially. That's what seems like the, the parallels are going on here, at least for me, when I'm kind of doing this read-through of Agent PD's... Oh, yeah, I don't know if I mentioned. This is Agent PD's uh, synopsis of what he thinks this book is. Then it does kind of um, end in a way where he theorizes that when the lead character, after escaping, wakes up in a hospital where no longer is Mr. Jones this this liberal trying to um, fund them to take down uh, the Dow or the Jones chemical plant. It's actually his doctor and um, the girlfriend he had, Greta, is actually his nurse and it's all very Wizard of Oz kind of uh, waking up in bed and you were there and you were there and you were there. That whole thing is going on here. And um, I, I, I guess that whole idea, like he presents it as like, oh, well, maybe the whole all the events that were occurring in this guy's life were a dream as a result of this laughing gas. I think this might be in a way a, a reference to or maybe even a jab at. Uh, people like me, people, the fans who are diving into this and dissecting it and trying to theorize all sorts of bonkers ideas about what this could be, that maybe it's all a dream. 
that that uh, that idea of it being a dream is of course um a joke uh, of the TV show uh, Saint Elsewhere where the ultimate ending of this li- all these lives of these these doctors in this hospital is that uh it was it was all the the uh the dream of a kid with autism and a snow globe anyway um <laughs> i I don't know when I when I read this, I think it, it's all interesting. And this is a book that I would love to actually read. But it's all pretty bonkers. I would love to hear what you guys are kind of thinking about this, what you're taking from it. Let me go ahead and jump to the next question. This comes from Mock GFX on Instagram, which uh, that's M-O-C-G-F-X. You should go check out uh, their page. They've been doing some really cool uh, poster designs for Watchmen that you can, I think you can buy them, but I know that Damon Lindelof has also been like re regramming some of these posts because they, they look really awesome. Uh, they say, what do we think the Millennium Clock is going to do? Whatever it is, they are, there are probably already 100 clues staring us right in the face. Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't know. They could go left or they could go right with this whole thing. Uh, I like the theories that whereas Adrian Veidt weaponized fear in the form of dropping a squid on New York City to make people afraid of the other and change the direction of what the other is from Russian aggression to an alien threat and and humanity uniting against that cause. Um, I, I like the theory that that um, Lady True's new agenda is to weaponize empathy in a way that she she is now in possession of um, both her nostalgia um, technology and Hooded Justice's um, brainwashing um, flashlight technology that he took from the Cyclops. So with those two, it... Is it not possible that she could try to um, brainwash everyone? She activates the Millennium Clock and it sends out some sort of um, beacon across the land that has people um, be kind of flooded without having to take the drug. Like physically, they would be flooded with memories of the past, uh, the tragedies of the past. Um, the atrocities that our ancestors have wrought upon innocent people and maybe making us have a a sort of uh, come to Jesus, a a reflection point on what we have done to ourselves and to the rest of humanity and make us have a, a reckoning with that. So that, I think, is a very fascinating idea. If it is something different than that if it's something much more out of, of of left field or maybe something a little bit more mundane then maybe the commentary is that we are building up this to be something bigger than it actually is and maybe it's wouldn't it be funny that it's just a clock she turns it on and it's just a clock and and we have all decided there must be some much bigger nefarious plot especially since she said she's out to save the world. I mean, we have to assume she's doing something with this clock. It can't just be a millennium clock. But again, I'm not sure. Uh, What do you guys think? I would love to hear your thoughts. 
Antonio Assis Assis 21 says, I'm still thinking about that Will quote. What is he going to do that will make Angela hate him even more? Is he going to steal Dr. Manhattan's power? Which, yeah, there's that point where she's asking him, uh, she's talking to him, and he goes, well, maybe I'm Dr. Manhattan. And now that we've seen episode eight, isn't it in a way possible that he possesses part of Dr. Manhattan's powers? Someone in our comments earlier brought up the idea, because I was like talking about how Dr. Manhattan pointed out he can transfer his powers into an egg or some organic material and give that to someone else to, in a way, imbue them with part of his powers. It wouldn't be all of his powers, but it would be in part some of the essence of his abilities or what he's able to do. And it could have been that Will Reeves was telling us right straight up, like, oh, yeah, I'm Dr. Manhattan, in a way, because he was visited 10 years ago by Cal, a.k.a. Dr. Manhattan, when he was essentially saying, you're going to need to protect the grandkids. And couldn't he have... The conversation gets cut off, but we could very easily see where the rest of that conversation would go. Him saying, I'm 100 years old. How am I going to help protect them? I might not even be alive. What can you do to ensure that I stay alive until then? And Cal said, here, eat this of your own volition and become a part of me. It's a very it's very Jesus. It's very the Eucharist, right? Eat of my body, drink of my blood kind of thing. But you partake of this piece of me and you will be given my Holy Spirit. You'll be given uh, the my abilities, my powers in part. And maybe that's what we've seen. We've seen a pretty strong hooded justice who is pretending to be in a wheelchair, but he can stand on his own. Maybe not pretending. Maybe he still needs it. Maybe he goes through bouts of weakness. Um, but he's able to stand on his own. He might have been strong enough to even uh, hang Judd himself if he didn't have the little device that allows Judd to hang himself. And then we also saw a scene in episode two where Will Reeves reaches into boiling water to pull out an egg, and that could have been foreshadowing. That could have been a wink and a nod to us that, hey, he does have powers, and you guys weren't paying attention, but the clues have been there out in the open this whole time. So I do think it's possible that we've seen that he does have a piece of that. Someone pointed out, though, in the comments, like, it can't be that Angela just happens to eat some blue food, some magical Dr. Manhattan food that he left lying around before he died because he said kind of specifically that he wouldn't do that to anyone unless they understood the consequences and accepted it knowingly, accepted his power. And him going off to uh, get zapped and die, or at least imprisoned by the 7th Cavalry, he didn't have that opportunity to make that gesture and make that deliberate offer to her and for her to willingly accept it. So, yeah, I don't think we can fully buy that that she is going to just kind of trip and find those powers and eat a, a blue glowing egg in the kitchen. Moving on to the next question. This comes to us from Jesse Blaze, who says, I think there'll be a more seasons or this just be a one-off miniseries. I'm fine with it being a one-off because it's excellent, at least as far as 
Uh, well, aside from Dr. Manhattan's look when he's not glowing and has the white eyes, it looks very wrong with normal human eyes. But I'd definitely love to see it continue, and at the same time, I don't know why it would or for what purpose an extension would serve. Although I'm sure if they were to do something, they'd come up with something great. Uh, Slip Like Freudian follows up and says, I think if they were to do more seasons, it'll be like Fargo, like an anthology or uh, true detective style. Separate stories in the same universe with minor tie-ins. It's Watchmen. It'll tie together more than average, sure. But yeah, they talked about how these nine episodes have been designed carefully together as one unit. And first off, I agree. Those eyes, uh, yeah, there was something a little bit off and, and creepy about it. And I agree that uh, it was unsettling, but maybe they needed his eyes to be visible for some key emotional segments. They needed that relationship of what Cal and Angela had, or John and Angela, either way, that they needed to be able to look into each other's eyes, and that's why they did it. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with it, but I agree. It was a little bit peculiar since we're so used to seeing that when he is Dr. Manhattan, his, his eyes are, are glazed over white, and it, and it all seems to kind of fit with this, this disconnected godlike being. But the clarity of the eyes could have been, been a, a clarity of vision as well for how he sees his relationship and, and reflecting on that final moment he gets to have with Angela in which was the key moment where he discovers he loves her. And once he loves her there, he's always loved her kind of thing. Very interesting. So, um, but in, in regards to more seasons, yes, they have not announced it. And, you know, the, the numbers are, are pretty good. So I would, of course, love to see more. But maybe everything is contingent upon this finale. And it may be one of those things where they need us to see this finale without any knowledge of, of the possibility of more seasons. Like, if you know another season is coming and you watch this this final episode, doesn't that in a way diminish the stakes? You, you're like, well, some people will be back because there's another season coming. If they do that, then we know what the future is and they might be avoiding that. But at the same time, if you take away from this what we do know still exists in this universe outside of like the maybe the potential final conclusion of Dr. Manhattan, of of Sister Knight, of um the Seventh Cavalry. Like we could see all of them die in this episode. But we would still be left in a world where a Dan Dryberg is living in in federal custody prison right now, where there is this utopia that exists on Europa and is populated, um, if if Vite left, is populated only by clones who may be run by this game warden and kind of building up a, an army, uh, uh, maybe even like a uh, like a nefarious place, or alternately like a, a true utopia that people would be clamoring to get to, and maybe it's a war of the worlds. We've manifested an alien threat that has something better than we have. Um, and then there's also uh, the idea that, that that Agent PD is out there, and Agent PD could act sort of like Agent Coulson did for the MCU, where it's it's this link, this tether between these different storylines, like Slip Like Freudian was saying, the, the Fargo template, the 
True Detective template, this anthology series of different stories within this universe. I would love that. I would love it mo- as well if we got to see more of the adventures of of Sister Knight and Looking Glass. But even either way, just having established what this world is, I in, in the TV iteration, I want to live more inside of it and would very much welcome a second season. Um, Jesse Blaze goes on to ask, will Lube Man be an important role in the finale? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. It's so weird. Lube Man is so bizarre, and I'm so conflicted. I think I will be happy if he shows up. I will also be happy if we never see him again, and we just don't know what became of Lube Man. I think it is fascinating, and I just, yeah, I don't know. Um, Let's see, one more question. This one comes to us from... JT Diesel, who says, so many questions. What happened to Looking Glass? What about Lube Man? Any more American Hero story? Why a horseshoe? Uh, so as far as Lube Man, just talked about that uh, American Hero story. I think we might have gotten the gist of what that was. It was the show within the show, a little bit of a commentary, uh, a, a meta commentary on the Watchmen franchise itself and the different iterations of it. Um, Looking Glass... I I assume he's infiltrating 7th Cavalry and we'll see him pop up. And uh the horseshoe? Man, I it could have been a Deus Ex Machina kind of a a last minute item of requirement that will allow Vite to escape his prison. And why a horseshoe? It was this peculiar tick of these these clones, these Adam and Eve clones that w- that they wanted to keep presenting this horseshoe to him. And it was something that he dismissed about them and found annoying about him, but it ultimately ends up years later being the one object of salvation for him and in a way a redemption in his eyes of who they are. Adrian Veidt, we find, is reading that same Fog Dancer book in his cell that has driven Byron Lewis mad and has others reflecting constantly on it. And we were discussing on our main episode about how we see him shed a tear. Adrian Veidt shed a tear at that trial. And I think in a way that might have been a reflection on here he is in a utopia where there are these pure people. And he's recognizing that he is the villain. He is the one in this one in this society who is the bad person who killed millions of people and there is a reckoning being placed upon him Vite is reflecting on the atrocities that he has levied against these people against humanity itself and now he finds himself sitting back and and reading the book of the man that he used as a tool to cause a lot of that great harm upon society that he previously had just kind of thought, yeah, what I did was okay. So now he seems to be rereading and rereading this book written by one of his victims. And in a way, he might be identifying with some of the characters. He might be thinking that he sees himself 
as either the hero or maybe finally he's he's realizing that in a in part he is the villain. And that would be really interesting to see. I doubt it. Narcissists like him usually don't find a point of, of self-reflection and kind of come to those conclusions. But it would be nice. Uh, last thoughts. The pool. We see Dr. Manhattan standing on that pool and say, he essentially says um, to Angela that you, you will need to see this. This will be important to you. And he is blue and glowing and he's on a, a pool of water. And I feel like that must, in a way, tie into that blue glowing globe floating on water in the basement of Lady True's compound. How they tie together, that may be some sort of uh, device to remind her that, hey, if you're trying to figure out, if, if you think there's no hope left and whatever machination Lady True has enacted and is destroying humanity, I want you to remember this about me and this is me giving you a clue that the way you can solve this and save the day is to go and into her basement into that room and that's the key that's my thought love to hear your thoughts on all of this and if you guys want to um leave your comments here on uh on our our youtube page you can also email us um at whopodsthewatchman at gmail.com and just a reminder that we will be doing our live review of the finale and a breakdown of the episode at 10.15 p.m. Central Standard Time over on YouTube. So just stay tuned to um, our Instagram, our Facebook, our Twitter, however you guys are following us on social media. We will post up the link soon, and you guys will be able to go there and join us in the chat, ask questions, talk about the show with others, decompress reflect on what this show is what this show is meant to you and how we move forward from all this uh, i want to thank you guys again for all of your support um give us that five star rating and review on whatever platform you are listening to this on and also please go ahead and help support us at patreon.com slash who pods the watchman i'm grant davis thanks for listening